Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis, a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Linda Mastandria, Director of the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA and that's at the headquarters in Washington, D.C. The focus of this podcast will be on how best to integrate all aspects of the emergency management program to help people with disabilities. And welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, it's taken a long time to get this thing put together from what I originally envisioned over a year ago. But um, for our audience, I need to share with uh, our listeners that. Uh, Linda represented the United States seven times in wheelchair track in international competition, including two Paralympic Games, winning 15 gold and five silver medalists. So you're an athlete also besides. Uh, yes, um, that was a, a past life, but one uh, a of my life that I'm very proud of, and it's uh, opened a lot of doors for me. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. Those Thank achievements. you. So, Linda, it might be a good start out with some information about yourself and how you came to be at FEMA leading the disabilities effort for the agency. Of course. So, prior to joining FEMA, I pretty much spent the bulk of my career working in various facets of, of disability work. Uh, disability advocacy for a disability nonprofit, um, which led me to going to law school and becoming an attorney focusing on disability law and civil rights. Represented people with disabilities in um, discrimination cases in a wide variety of settings. And then I also worked for state government on disability issues as well as, as an attorney. Uh, and so that, that was the uh, bulk of my career. And then in about uh, 2012, maybe, I got in involved in doing some training for state and local emergency managers on incorporating the legal requirements of the ADA and other civil rights and disability laws into emergency management plans and programs. And this was, you know, based on my background as a lawyer, right? And um, through that uh, experience, I became acquainted with FEMA's reservist program and applied for and got accepted as uh, a member of FEMA's disability integration cadre as a disability integration advisor reservist. So for the next couple of years, I spent uh, being deployed with the FEMA teams responding to the floods in Shreveport and Baton Rouge and West Virginia and the tornadoes in Georgia and on and on. Um, and so that experience together with sort of my legal background and the the kind of training and education that I did in emergency management then led to this position as the director of the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, which opened up in 2017, and I applied and, and um, was selected for that position. The rest is history. 
And the rest is history, as they say. So were you the, are you the first incumbent in that position? No, so this, the, the disability, um, disability work at FEMA really started with the creation of a disability coordinator position, which was um, enumerated in PCAMRA, the Post-Katrina Emergency Management Reform Act. So the first disability coordinator was at FEMA in 2007, um, and then another in 2009. The Office of Disability Integration and Coordination then grew out of the sort of recognition and understanding that uh, the job of integrating the needs of people with disabilities was bigger than one person and one office. And so that the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination grew out of, of that sort of recognition. And then um, I became the next person to hold that position. And I'm both the disability coordinator and the director of the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination for FEMA. Okay. Uh, well, I think, you know, what you just shared, you know, that journey of how you mm -hmm. got into it. I mean, you had some background um, in it. You had your uh, law degree, which I have to ask you where you graduated or got your law degree from. All, attorneys always like to hear that. Uh, attorneys always like to know that. Yes, I went to uh, Chicago Kent College of Law in Chicago. Okay, and we both share, we're both from Illinois. I, I tell people, uh, you pronounce it Illinois, it's like Missouri, Missouri, and if you're from <laughs> Illinois, you, you say Illinois. Right. And they say, really? I say, no, no, not really. All right. So, no, no mess. But your progression, I think, I think you know, people, Today, maybe there are some, you know, nine, 10 year old uh, boys and girls think, oh, when I grow up, I want to be an emergency manager. But certainly uh, that was not the career path where people are thinking that's what they want to do. And you kind of fall into it based on your life experiences. And what you just described is a perfect example of that. So, Exactly. And that's right. I didn't. I didn't set out on, on the path to become an emergency manager, or really even, you know, think I was going to be a lawyer as a kid yeah. either. So, right. but opportunities have presented themselves, and I've been able to, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that have come my way to to some measure of success, which has been great. Yeah. So, uh, can you give our audience a brief overview of exactly what your office does? You know, the composition of your staff, um, sure. and you could start with that when I do that. This is a two-part question, I guess. Sure. So my office, the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination, it was, as I mentioned, it was kind of created out of, you know, the knowledge that this one person advising the whole FEMA on the needs of people with disabilities yeah. wasn't sufficient. And so the office itself has kind of been grown and been focused on advising not only FEMA, but our state, local, territorial, and tribal partners on this notion of integrating the needs of people with disabilities into the whole spectrum of emergency and disaster preparedness, response, recovery programs and services, right? And, and to provide training and technical assistance and tools to FEMA leadership. Um, our focus is instead of being sort of reactionary, you know, I think about my legal background, lawyers can be very reactionary, right? But the, the focus here is really being about, uh, is about being proactive. It's about looking at FEMA's programs and services and policies and procedures 
on the front end as we're building them, as we're developing them, and how do we include the needs of people with disabilities from the start, you know, before disasters happen, not as they're happening, not after they've happened, and yeah. not reacting I, to those issues identified during response and recovery. I, I'm, I'm just thinking about seismic types of things, and it's much harder to retrofit a building than build it right. And that same thing with a program, you're not going in trying to retrofit a program to address, you know. That's exactly, that's exactly right, Eric. It's, it's really, you know, and, and granted, there are times when we do have to go back and retrofit and, and, you know, fix things that aren't working, but our main focus is trying to build it right from the beginning. And our team at headquarters works all across FEMA to provide that advice and guidance I was talking about on, on that integration of the needs of people with disabilities across the whole range of programs and services, individual assistance, public assistance, mitigation, you name it. And, okay. you know, we, we also have staff that staff the NRCC, the National Response Coordination Center. We have a disability integration and coordination desk that's activated during federally declared disasters so that that individual is sitting there and working there to make sure that information is flowing from headquarters through the regions to the disaster operations and back up uh, so that we can get the best information out to them and get the yeah. best intelligence back in. Yeah, I didn't anticipate that type, but I think that's terrific. I always use the example of safety. Um, yeah, if it's not a dedicated position, uh, not, you know, it's rare people are thinking about it. That's why you make it a dedicated position. And the other piece of this, uh, if you're not in the room, part of the discussion, this whole aspect of people with disabilities will be missed. So I think that's terrific that you're in the room at the National Response Center. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. If, if you're not in the room, you can get missed. And so it's important no. for us to have that presence and, and it's working very well. Um, okay, you know, so what, what's the number of people? I mean, all the things you talked about sounds, oh, that could be you know, 50, <laughs> well, 100 would, people. I don't know. I was going to say, I'd like to tell you we have 100, but we've got about 15. Okay. And had, <laughs> One, five, 15. <laughs> yeah. And then, but that's not, you know, that's not all of, of what disability integration has to offer, though. Um, you know, if, if I may, um, we work in the regions as well through what's called our regional disability integration specialists and there's you know there's 10 federal regions so there's 10 fema regional offices each one of those offices has a regional disability integration specialist and that individual is charged with you know implementing the mission of the office of disability integration and coordination that integration mission across that region and and uh they're they do work on blue sky time, they do work in gray sky time. So they're doing education and outreach and networking and identifying disability organizations in their communities. And then during active disaster time, they're working with their regional and field leadership on identifying the needs of the people with disabilities in those communities impacted by that disaster because they've got that knowledge base. They're working in that region. They know their communities. So they're, okay. you know, position to provide that situational awareness. And um, why don't you define blue sky and gray sky because there very well may be non-emergency <laughs> management people uh, 
listening to this podcast. What do you mean? Absolutely. So um, in our world, when we talk about blue skies, that means non-disaster time. And of course, that's a very small slice if, if maybe a few days of the year, right? Um, but but in general, blue sky means not an active disaster. And then gray sky means when we're actively responding, you know, in particular to a federally declared disaster. Okay, All right, very good. And these people at the regional offices, uh, are they uh, integrated part of your staff? Are they part of the regional staff or do they dual report? Yeah, that's a great question. So they are regional staff, but they're, their mission, you know, their role and responsibility includes supporting and delivering on the mission of the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination. So um, part of their role and responsibility ties directly to my office's mission. And then they have region specific responsibilities, but it's all disability related. Okay. And so, no, they don't technically report to my office. We are very closely aligned. Okay. Um, and yeah, there's a wide variety of disabilities, both physical and mental disabilities. Do you try and address all of those? Sure, that's a, a really, really, really good question. And I think what's, what's important to remember is that, uh, you know, the goal for an emergency manager is to serve everyone in their community, including people with disabilities. And, and quite often, I think, you know, you think about the the wheelchair parking sign or the accessible parking sign or the handicap parking sign as people might call it. And that there's a wheelchair symbol on there. And then, and that becomes the most sort of visible and recognizable sign of disability. And, and that people tend to forget there's like a whole universe of people with different types of disabilities other than wheelchair users, right? So there may be people with sensory disabilities, like somebody who's deaf or blind, people with autism, intellectual disabilities, cognitive disabilities like a brain injury or even Alzheimer's disease, or speech disabilities or mental or psychological disabilities. And then there's a whole category of hidden disabilities like heart disease, diabetes, things like that. And some of these you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's easy to wrap your head around something you can see, right? I use a wheelchair. So people see me, they automatically know I have some sort of disability, but there's many of us moving around in the community that it's not immediately apparent by looking at someone. So that makes it harder for people to understand. But I bring that whole range up just to kind of, you know, open people's eyes to the idea that it is about more than just physical accessibility and works to ensure that whole range of people with disabilities can access and benefit from our programs and services and and really to work to help our state and local and tribal and territorial partners do the same okay and uh, do, you, do you know of any states that have a disability coordinator and their staff I, I i've never heard of one but that's so there are a few know everybody <laughs> right we don't know everyone um even though it is a it, it's always a smaller community than you think right uh, but there are states with um what they call access and functional needs coordinators some states call them disability coordinators um but there's at, at my last count there's only four of them that have that specific position that's housed sort of within the emergency management organization. 
Uh, that being said, every state has what's called an ADA coordinator. Now okay, you have, you have to define ADA. In fact, I've been thinking in my mind, absolutely. I cannot I cannot remember what ADA stands for. <laughs> <laughs> I will help you out with that, Eric. It is the Americans with Disabilities Act. Thank you. That is the federal civil rights law that um, was enacted in 1990 and provided, really expanded on the protections of the 1973 Rehabilitation Act for people with disabilities. And it required that every state have what's called an, called an ADA coordinator yeah. to ensure that the state's programs and services are serving people with disabilities. So many of those individuals have responsibilities around emergency management, even if they're not housed in the emergency management agency. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I'd like to tell you that I have relationships with all of them. I don't. Um, we are working on building those relationships and it's an ongoing process. Yes, I, I, I call the relationship part of emergency management, the emergency management curse, because it just, uh, you get a strong relationship, you work with this person for a long, long time, you understand roles, responsibilities, personalities, competencies, all that, and then they leave and you have to start all over again. Right. <laughs> it is a challenge. It is a challenge and that is kind of the way it goes. But the good thing is I think we're, we've been making a lot of inroads in, you know, because our focus, Eric, has been on the idea of building capacity. It is not about just having all of this knowledge within this one office at FEMA. It is about building the capacity of the community to serve people with disabilities where they live. And so that is why it's really important and necessary for us to work with our regions and with local organizations, you know, the disability non-governmental non organizations, as well as the state and local organizations that have some responsibility toward people with disabilities, right? And so that we can really get it, get into that most local level where people live and work and provide services at that, at that level and build that capacity. So it's not just about FEMA, you know? Right, okay. Um, now we're gonna get into what I call, uh, I'm writing a column uh, in the future here, maybe March, April for the International Association of Emergency Managers and do a disaster zone column monthly in their bulletin. And it's gonna be called Federal Mind Control. And it has to do with grants mm -hmm. and um, how, you know, if you take the money, then you gotta do the work. So mm -hmm. um, there are a bunch of different uh, FEMA and Department of Homeland Security grant programs. Um, I don't remember specifically seeing any and uh, again, I, I'm looking at it primarily from a critical infrastructure perspective these days because it's my day job. But I don't remember seeing um, requirements about disability issues. Is there any integration with these grant programs with your office and requirements in there? Or is it a general requirement? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there, you know, over the last couple of years, um, we did work grant programs directorate to, um, to include language in the grant solicitations regarding those specific requirements um, for inclusion of, for people with disabilities and you know, calling out the specific sort of 
legal and, and policy requirements. Um, that the enforcement of that, you know, is not part of what my office does. We helped work on the language and sort of the implementation of that rollout. But, um, you know, but, but I think even more important than the language in a particular grant program, what we really try to promote is that organizations work with their states as they are preparing grant proposals so that they can make sure that programs address the needs of people with disabilities in the community because most you know most if not all of the of the grant programs have mechanisms that you know that would allow for disability issues to be included in in a grant proposal right it just right. depends on getting uh, getting buy-in from your state and, and emergency management agency and whoever's putting the proposal together. And so that's, I, I think I'm going to jump to sort of the next point about why it's really important, or really, I guess it's jumping forward and going back, because we already talked about relationships. That's really the key component of this. It's the relationships between the emergency managers and the disability organizations and people working with, with people with disabilities so that they're working together, they're communicating and they're so that they're understanding what the needs are and that they are able to then build in programs, you know, requests for grant funding to address those needs. So no, there's not a specific fund to address disability issues. No, no there's not a specific grant to address disability issues. There are requirements for accessibility and, and all of that that, you know, that fall into sort of every grant program, right? That's that's part of a federal agency's um, purview, right? But in terms of the programmatic piece of it, it's really about those relationships and getting people on the, on the page together so that they're putting in a good proposal that addresses the needs of the whole community, including the people with disabilities. Okay, well, hopefully this, you know, podcast we're doing today will plant a seed for some people um, <laughs> listening to it about what they could do to integrate uh, that into it. But uh, surprisingly, we're about halfway through. We're going to take a quick break right now, and then we'll be right back. This podcast is being sponsored by Cobra, an emergency management software solution. Cobra provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit cobrasoftware.com. So we're back here, and my guest today is Linda Nastandria, Director of Office of Disability Integration and Coordination at FEMA's headquarters back in DC. And we've been talking about uh, issues with related to uh, disabilities and emergency management programs. So Linda, what, what are the challenges you see in, and we've been talking about integrating these, but what's the challenges of actually seeing that happen, integrating uh, the needs of people with disabilities into planning, training, and, and exercise? I'd use the example of Cascadia Rising 2022. It's gonna be a national level exercise in June of 2022. Um, I haven't read a lot on it, but all these exercises I've participated in, again, I haven't seen anything on disabilities that I recall. You know. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, 
I, you know, I think the challenge isn't so much getting emergency managers to understand that they need to plan and train and exercise for their whole community, including people with disabilities, right? But the challenge is getting is is in getting to how. I think emergency managers often just don't start. They don't know where to begin. They don't know who to talk to. They don't know where to go. And so that's part of what we do. We help them build their capacity. We help them increase their knowledge base. We help open the door to some of those resources and facilitate and, you know, create those connections and that communication so that they have those resources in their community and they can start to work with them and then they can identify people who can participate in a training exercise or, you know, they can identify people who can come and sit in a planning meeting. They can, you know, identify people who can sit and develop injects for an exercise. Um, but it really, it, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. It's all about building those relationships and getting to know the people in the community because the disability organizations and individuals with disabilities are the ones who have the most intimate, best knowledge of what their needs are and you know what what the gaps are. And so it's really important to make those connections so that they can work together. Okay, so that sounds good. You know, I'm, I, I'm just thinking about this. I'm reminded that, um, oh, this is like 15 years ago, we had an AmeriCorps volunteer and I was a county emergency manager for King County, Washington State, which is Metro Seattle. And um, one of the things we did with that is we took the CERT training and did a course for uh, people with disabilities to include fire extinguisher training for people mm -hmm. who are blind and, and that. It was an interesting thing trying to take that curriculum and uh, adapt to it. So uh, it can be done, you know, it can be done. It absolutely can be done. And, you know, to, to that end, um, there's a couple other things I'd like to highlight in terms of, you know, I think some of, some of the challenges that, that uh, emergency managers face. And one is really around that, you know, getting to, getting to know the community and, and understanding the population of people with disabilities, right? And, and I think we know that compiling accurate data on people with disabilities and communities has been something of a challenge. You know, we've lived long in the world of anecdotes instead of really hard data. Um, and so it's often been kind of guesswork in terms of understanding what population of people with disabilities are in a particular community. And so to help solve that issue, we developed a disability dashboard, which is a tool that enables us to cross-reference census data with individual assistance registration data. And that helps determine the population of people with disabilities in an impacted area. And so, um, you know, what's, what's interesting about this, Eric, is for example, if we know based on census data that a community has a disability population of about, let's say 20%, but only 3% of our registrants for a particular disaster are indicating the presence of a disability we can use that information to say, we've got a gap here and we need to target our outreach and registration efforts, right? And our state and local and tribal and territorial partners can use this information to plan uh, for themselves and for their futures by having an understanding of that population of people with disabilities 
who've registered for past disasters and sort of understanding that gap so that they can develop better targeted outreach mechanisms and all of that to, to understand and work with their population. Um, and, and on that vein, we sort of did a look back um, at uh, 2018 and developed what we're calling the Disability Demographics and Program Utilization Report. And that studied the experiences of people with disabilities who applied for FEMA assistance um, through all the disasters of that year and provided us with really a, a you know, sort of a rich data set of information uh, that we can use to improve our programs and services by sort of, uh, you know, giving us a look at how people with disabilities moved through from registration intake all the way through recovery. And that, that is also something that's available to our partners. And so um, I think, you know, those tools um, giving folks just a better, you know, a better feel for data, you know, so, so much of what we do now, we talk about big data and data and data driven decision right. making, right? So it's really important that when we're serving people with disabilities, that we're not just basing it on conversations on, you know, at the cafe, but that we're really looking at hard data so that we know what we're dealing with and who we need to work with. Yeah, it's one thing to work with your gut feeling, but it's a lot better if you have something to back that up. That's well, right. I, I, I'm going to talk about an administrative thing here is that uh, when we started this podcast, it showed I had over an hour left on my Zoom account for the month, and now it says I've got five and a half minutes. So, <laughs> so we have we're to gonna, really fast. <laughs> we're going to manage to five and a half minutes. So, but we, we've got time. I, I think. So I'm going to be a little bit more selective here, and if sure. consider the time element. So, you know, talks about do's and don'ts that you recommend for emergency managers to follow or avoid. And why don't we concentrate on the the don'ts because people make mistakes uh, trying to do it, you know, appropriately, but. What should emergency managers avoid when trying to get into this area? Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I think that's that's uh, a really good question, and I think, you know, it, with your permission, I'd sort of like to frame it in the way of do. I think okay. we do want them to start thinking about people with disabilities before a disaster. We do want them to connect with disability organizations in their communities. We do want them to know who their regional disability integration specialist is, reach out to them and start working with them to develop their network, okay? We do want them to work to make all of their communications accessible. So not just their emergency alerts and public safety messaging, but everything. So that means uh, making sure you have closed captioning on your uh, multimedia messages, making sure you have an accessible website that when you have meetings and press conferences that you have American Sign Language interpreters and that uh, you partner with your local media to make sure that when you're filming something for broadcast that the interpreter is in the shot with the person speaking. Um, that you do, again, work with your community to get and compile information in advance about the accessible resources in, in the community. like accessible transportation, accessible shelters, and things like that, and continue to communicate about the availability of those services. And then, of course, you know, do 
take advantage of FEMA resources like the Mass yeah. Care Emergency Assistance Pandemic Planning Considerations Guide, which is of course particularly relevant at the current time. It was released in, in June of this year uh, to help our you know, state, local, tribal and territorial partners provide mass care safely in this pandemic environment. And of particular interest is the personal assistance services addendum to that guide. So this is gonna help people who are providing mass care, these emergency managers working on that issue with information on how to safely and effectively provide personal assistance services for people with disabilities who are under their charge. And this is helping with things like helping people with disabilities with what's called activities of daily living, like grooming and eating and bathing and dressing and uh, getting in and out of bed and taking medication and things like that. And so that information too is really timely for emergency managers to, to take with them right now to make sure they can keep people with disabilities safe if they're having to shelter and, and get mass care services. Yeah, I, I think your, your do list there just Reminds everybody you have to be proactive um, in this whole program. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a project that I think our office, uh, Pacific Northwest Economic Region, uh, we may be rewriting a, a regional pandemic food plan. And I would pretty much guarantee you there's nothing in disabilities in there. So we'll try to incorporate that if, if we have the opportunity to do that planning. Excellent. Okay, well, managing to our time, I just wanna say thank you to Linda Mastranda, um, famous Office of Disabilities Integration Coordination for being a guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Thank you so much. I really uh, enjoyed the opportunity and I'm grateful to have the uh, chance to share some information with your listeners. Yeah, I think we've just scraped the top level of all this. So I look forward to um, maybe having you on again in the future, doing more of a deep dive. Perhaps. I would enjoy that very much, Eric. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm sure anyway, listen, anyone listening today uh, learned a great deal about working and supporting people with disabilities before a disaster occurs. The key word is before. And now a reminder to everybody to be safe. Think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster to include integrating people with disabilities into your emergency management program. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.